is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So this morning, uh, we're going to watch a video together, and then we're going to be praying together for revival. Last week, uh, I know Dave Fellingham uh, shared some things, and I think look back in Scripture, and it might have felt a bit like a history lesson, but this morning, we're going to move on from that, and we're going to say, so what does it mean for us now? in our country, in, in, in our lands. And we're going to finish this morning by praying together and praying for God to move. We're going to watch the second part of the talk in a moment. And I watched it this week. And uh, I have to admit that I was both challenged and uh, excited and provoked and almost rebuked in equal measure. Uh, and the challenge and excitement bit, you can imagine, because you know we're hearing, so we're going to hear some stories in a moment of revival in this country, not so long ago. And I'm hoping that's going to stir your faith that what God did then, He could do now. What He did in the past, He could do again. Do you believe that? I really believe that. And I'll tell you why I felt rebuked. I felt rebuked by the Spirit because if I look back over my lifetime, there have been seasons of my life where I was praying regularly for revival. Well, I was praying regularly for God to move in our nation. And I would call on the Lord. I'd ask him to move in Derby. I'd be going, God, you've done it there. Why not here? And I remember seasons of my life where that would be a common prayer for me. And I prayed a lot for that. But, but friends, if I'm honest with you, in recent years, I probably haven't prayed for that in the same way. There have been other things I've prayed for, you'll be pleased to know. But I haven't been pray- if I'm honest with you, I haven't been praying for revival in the same way that I did maybe in my 20s and 30s. And I felt rebuked by the Lord as I watched the videos. I heard stories of God moving. I'm like, God, I used to pray for this. I used to ask you for this. I used to believe you for this. And something happened along the way, and it just fell off my prayer list. Listen to what Scripture says. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their lands. We live in a time now, don't we, where we need God to move in our land and indeed in the nations of the world. Do you believe that? You know, we, we look around us and we think, you know, we've trusted in all sorts of things. We've, we've put our trust in the economy. We, we, we've tried putting our trust in, in our leaders and politicians. We've put our trust in, you know, having maybe a, a secure job that, you know, we can put our hope in and know that, you know, things are going to be okay there. And all of those things 
we look around at our nation, we can see all of those things have failed us. The only thing, indeed the only person we can put our trust and hope in is God himself. And God's promise to us is if we seek him and and turn to him and call on him, he's going to answer. Oh, do you believe that still? He said it then. He hasn't changed. And as I was watching this video this week, I'm like, yeah, God, you said this. And there have been stories of you moving in the past. I want to see it again. Because I know it's what our nation needs. And indeed, it's what the nations need. So I want to encourage you, keep that scripture in mind. We're going to watch the video. I trust it's going to stir you and encourage you to believe that God could move once again. And then we're going to finish this morning by calling on God together and praying and asking for him to move. And we're going to do the same again and pray as we worship and pray on Wednesday night. Is that okay? So, let's run the video. Thanks, guys. We now come to the second seminar on the subject of revival. And as I said at the beginning of the last one, this is too huge a subject to cover in just two seminars, but I hope that I will whet your appetite, give you a desire to look into this subject and begin to pray that God pours out his spirit in revival. In the third century, the great theologian Tertullian said, the cause of God has never been suspended. Revival or wilderness, God has always been with his people. Revival is a theme that runs through the Bible and shows that although God's plan may appear to be thwarted at times through unbelief or disobedience, he is constantly watching over his people to fulfil his plans. The Old Testament has many examples of God reviving his people after periods of backsliding. And much of the prophetic writings warn and encourage the people of God to repent and return to him. After the building of the temple, God spoke to Solomon and warned him that the establishment of the kingdom was conditional on the obedience of his people. He even warns that if there is a turning away from his laws, that his judgments would come and they would be uprooted from the land. It is as though God is already seeing down the years ahead and in his foreknowledge predicting their future. In the early chapters of 2 Chronicles, the completion of the temple, we get Solomon praying some great prayers about the nation and about the people of God. But God responds to him. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, there's a famous verse. God says to Solomon that if his judgments come upon the land and there is famine, then they are to turn back to him. And he says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now the history of the people of God from this time demonstrates that God did what he said he would do. And many of the kings following Solomon displayed great wickedness, leading the people into idolatry and all kinds of sinfulness. However, from time to time, good kings like Asa, Josiah and Hezekiah and a few others would remember what God had said and restore again what had been lost through the judgments of God upon their disobedience. The Old Testament constantly repeats the story of revival. We can learn some important spiritual principles from both the historical events and the writings of the prophets. However, it is in Acts 3 verses 19 to 21 that we get the new covenant perspective on revival. Through the 2,000 years of church history, after the periods of decline in the church, God has revived and renewed his people. And these revivals have often been preceded by repentance and prayer. Now, in Acts chapter 3, after the dramatic healing of the lame man at the gate of the temple, Peter preaches a great prophetic sermon. He says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. This sermon connects the events of the Old Covenant and the history of the people of God with the New Covenant age, with history yet to be written. This is revival history encapsulated in a few words. Peter is suggesting that before Jesus comes again, to restore all things back to God, there would be seasons of refreshing. The obvious implication is that there would also be times of spiritual famine and drought. However, God is in control and as Tertullian said, his cause was never suspended. There may be wilderness times, but there will be seasons of refreshing. Now, we've already looked at some key events in revival history and it would take a whole series of teaching to cover everything. But I want to highlight some of the key issues that revival brings and how we can prepare our own hearts for it. And I'm going to illustrate this from some of my own experiences and my own family background to help us. The word revival has been in my vocabulary since I was a small child. 
on both my father's and my mother's side of my family, there has been first-hand experience of revival and stories have been passed down from one generation to another. I personally live with an expectation and longing for revival in my lifetime. I have also had first-hand experience of being in the epicentre of revival when I visited Korea in 1990. My mother was born in Lacha in South Wales 10 years after the 1904 to 1906 revival. She was born in 1916. Her parents, my grandparents, experienced and lived through the revival. Now, the main figure at the beginning of the revival was Evan Roberts. And his family lived just a couple of hundred metres from where my grandparents lived and where my mother grew up. They knew the Roberts family very well. And Evan was a frequent visitor to his family home and my mother, as a little girl, would often catch sight of him. This was in the years after the revival. There are many books one can read on the revival and the life of Evan Roberts, but not all of the information is in the books. Now, from the age of 12, God's hand was on him and he was singled out by the owner of the local coal mine and school as having exceptional qualities. And he was soon teaching in the school mathematics, morals and music. And he used to go to the mine regularly and as a young teenage boy would speak to these hard-drinking, gambling, rough miners and encourage each of them that while they were down in the pit, they were to meditate on a verse of scripture which he would give them before they went on their shift. His evangelistic heart was displayed even then. After he left school, he began working in the mine and was passionate about witnessing for Jesus. By the time he was in his mid-twenties, he'd felt God call into the ministry and he spent a few months in Bible college but returned, desperate for revival, to the village of Lacha, the place where he lived as a child. And he was used by God to be one of the leaders in a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as I've said, first of all, it was in the village of Lacha. Then spreading through Wales and across the world. In Wales alone, over 100,000 people were saved in just two years. It seeded the outpouring of the Spirit and the Pentecostal outpouring of 1916 that I mentioned in the last seminar. And the impact of the revival lasted for many years. A massive factor in the revival was passionate prayer 
and being yielded to the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, my grandparents still lived in the house near Evan Roberts' family home. And when I was baptised in the Holy Spirit in 1964, aged 19, my grandmother introduced me to Evan Roberts' sister-in-law, Sarah, who was still living in the family home. It was an incredible experience to hear first-hand stories how Evan would come home from the coal pit and would go straight into the shed in the garden where hour after hour he would pour out his heart to his Father in heaven for revival. She said when he would come back indoors, his tears had washed away the coal-faced grime that had blackened his face. Evan was 26 when the revival broke out. But for at least 10 years before him, from boyhood into manhood, he was a passionate man of prayer. The revival transformed the community. The police had nothing to do. The pubs were losing business. <laughs> Even the pit ponies would not work because the ruffian miners who mistreated the animals were transformed into Christ-like, gentle, loving men. As I heard these stories firsthand, my heart was set on fire for God to do it again. Now, a massive key to a revival outpouring is passionate, consistent, faith-filled prayer. And the challenge is there for us today. Now, on my father's side of the family, his father, Fred Fellingham, was in the heat of the Salvation Army revival in the latter half of the 19th century, spilling over into the early 20th century. And as a young man, he was involved in evangelism with the Salvation Army band in Felixstowe and then went into full-time ministry as an evangelist. And I do actually have a very precious photograph taken in 1892 of my grandfather as a young man with the Salvation Army Band in Felixstowe. Now, the Salvation Army, founded in 1865, was an aggressively evangelistic company led by William Booth and Catherine Booth. They had a strong social outreach and within 50 years had planted hundreds of churches in the UK and over 700 in more than 70 nations. Their social programme brought a huge relief to the deprivation in Victorian and Edwardian England. Love for God 
a passion for the lost, a longing for revival, and an engagement in spiritual warfare created the ethos of my home life as a child. Because in my early years, my grandfather lived with us until he died when I was eight years old. He and his wife, my father's mother, were church planters with the army in the early years of the 20th century. She had died when I was an infant and so my parents cared for my grandfather for the rest of his life. I particularly remember him telling me stories of those early years of the Salvation Army. He was like an old warrior who had run his course and his stories have remained with me as they did with my own father. Now, after my grandfather's death, we found an old diary that told his story. It's a very precious thing that I have. And he tells in this book how after his training, when he went to the Salvation Army College, he was sent by William Booth to Hull. Now, in his diary, which I have here, he tells the dramatic story of what happened. And he says he was sent by Booth to Hull. And as he is on the train to Hull, he makes a resolution in the train that he's going to begin his ministry in Hull with half nights of prayer. He's met at the station by a group of salvationists who say to him that God has spoken to them and that they are to have half nights of prayer. So there was an immediate agreement. And he says, the nights of prayer started with about 20. Then they slackened down to about five for a long time, weeks and weeks. Then they return again, more and more. And the next sentence blows my mind. He says, then revival started. Now, the next thing he says is described further. Now, he was obviously using these as notes to tell his story because he doesn't actually describe further what happened. He just says, then revival started. But I have found some newspaper articles from the winter of 1901 that tell some of my favourite grandfather's stories. And they tell what happened that he is describing in his diary. The vocabulary is warlike. The results were impressive. Scenes of revival were recorded. So this is the revival that my grandfather describes here or mentions here, and this is what the paper says. 19th of January, 1901. Another desperate attack on the strongholds of hell. Friday, half night of prayer, when soldiers received ammunition and power from the king to go forth and attack. 
36 desperate soldiers, all of one mind, stormed the pubs and wept over the drunkards. And arm in arm, we got 73 drunken men and women into the barracks. That's the church building. Though some of them would smoke in the barracks, God blessed them and saved four good cases, making 12 souls for the weekend. Since we started midnight bombardments three weeks ago, God has saved 68 souls. Here's another one, 2nd of March, 1901. Another newspaper report. Great crowds swept into the building where through prayer and fire, the soldiers danced, laughed and cried all at once bringing two souls to the mercy seat. Then 22 soldiers rushed to the midnight battle for the souls of drunkards, harlots, thieves and vagabonds and brought 67 to the barracks where they heard the terms of peace from the messengers of the king. Nine made an unconditional surrender. On Sunday, we captured nine more prisoners The total for the weekend was 20. Now, the Salvation Army experienced revival as their blood and fire motto propelled them into a church planting initiative that saw thousands of converts established into churches. Their church planting initiatives were based totally on new converts. Now, a third major influence on me to give me a passion for revival was my visit to Korea in 1990. Back in the mid-80s, I had written a song called The Lord Has Displayed His Glory. It was a song about the kingdom coming, the lame walking, the deaf hearing and the blind seeing. It was on the Downs Worship album of that year, and it had travelled as far as Korea. One day, out of the blue, I had a phone call from a Korean pastor who told me they had been singing this song in their church in Seoul. And he told me that as they were singing this song, a church of several thousand people, revival had broken out. And what this song was saying was actually happening as they were singing it. The deaf were hearing, the blind were seeing, the lame were talking. And so I was invited to go to Korea and speak in the Olympic Stadium. This was a life-changing experience. It began with me speaking at a conference on Prayer Mountain, a huge conference centre devoted to prayer. The sound of hundreds of people praying together aloud for the UK in its backslidden state was challenging and overwhelming. I was then invited to speak in the Olympic Stadium to 80,000 people. Again, it was an overwhelming experience with hundreds being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit and delivered from demonic strongholds. 
I experienced revival firsthand. Now, in these two sessions, I have only been able to give a small taste of what is a huge subject. The challenge for us today is that our society and world is becoming more and more secular. God's word is being undermined and his laws flouted. Although our churches are generally vibrant and alive, the worship is great and there are many good preachers and resources for Christians, the fact of the matter is that people are not being saved in their thousands as they were in historic revivals. I thank God for the fives, the tens, the twenties, even the fifties, and for the Alpha course that has seen many people saved. It's not that we're not seeing people saved, but we are not seeing people saved at the level that we see in the great revivals. I hope I have encouraged you to pray and seek God for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. Revival is the only hope for the church and the world. The cause of God has never been suspended. Revival or wilderness, God has always been with his people. Now, in many ways, it has been a wilderness time as far as people being saved is concerned. I don't know if you know that old gospel hymn, There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. There is a line in it which says, mercy drops round us are falling. And that's been true throughout history, even through wilderness times. The mercy drops have been falling. But the hymn says, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. So let's believe God for the wilderness days to end and for the fires of revival to burn in our nation and the nations of the world. It is my conviction that before Jesus returns, there will be a worldwide outpouring of God's spirit and the church will once again be like the church described in the book of Acts. Let us be passionate in prayer, vibrant in witness, flooded with the spirit and full of worship. I end with the chorus of another great old evangelical hymn. Hallelujah, send the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, send the glory. Revive us again. It's stirring to hear stories of God moving. And actually not so long ago. I, in, my, in my 20s, I remember visiting a, a church in central London, a large Pentecostal church. And uh, I was there for work. I was doing some 
work with the, the worship pastor there. Uh, and we were just talking, and we were talking about the history of his church. And he was telling me about some, some sort of tidying up and clearing they've been doing as a church. And they'd gone down into the basements to, like, to tidy some stuff up. And they'd come across all these old crutches and wheelchairs. And then it was like, you know, what's with all the old crutches and wheelchairs in the basement? And he was told, oh, that's from when we used to have healing meetings. And when people were healed, they just sort of left their crutches and wheelchairs and walked home. So we just put them in the basement. We didn't know what to do with them. You hear stories like that. You hear stories like the early Salvation Army pioneering church planters who, let me tell you, were radical evangelists, as we heard. You think, oh, God, could you do that again? It says this in Habakkuk 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath. Remember mercy. Isn't that your heart cry? That's my heart cry. God, you've done it then. Could you do it again? In fact, not could you do it again. I know you can do it again. And therefore, Lord, will you do it again? Do we need that, friends? I don't have any other solution for our nation or indeed the nations of the world other than a mighty move of God's. That is what we need. That is what I need in my life. It's what you need in your life. It's what your family and friends around you need. And it's what our nation needs. So can we stand together? I'd love us to finish today, finish our time together by calling on God and lifting our voices and saying, God, do it again. Has God changed? Has he changed? Is he still as powerful and as mighty as he was then? Is he still that powerful now? Could he do it again? Yes, so Lord, let's come. Let's come to him and say, God, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let's lift our voices together. Let's call on the Lord and say, God, would you move? You might want to name some specific people around you where you want them to encounter God for themselves. Maybe some members of your family, maybe some friends of yours or work colleagues are saying, God, would you encounter them? Lord, would you change their hearts? Name them before the Lord. And let's be asking God to pour his spirit out and do it again. Let's lift our voices, friends. Let's, let's call on the Lord together. Let's lift our voices out loud. Let's be crying to him. Say, God, would you do it again? Lord, we say to you, Father, would you...
Yeah, Father, we want to cry to you this morning for these times of refreshing that Peter talked about in Acts 3. We say, God, in our city, in this place, in, in our time, Lord, send times of refreshing in the Holy Spirit. God, start with us, Lord. We recognize our need for you. We say, God, start in our hearts, Lord. Set us on fire. Set our lives ablaze for you. Lord, capture our lives and hearts afresh to, to pray and call on you to move again. Lord, we've heard of your fame. We, we stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. We, we cry to you, God, repeat them in our day and in our time. Make them known. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. God, we thank you for thousands saved in, in Wales there in the Welsh Revival, in those, that short space of time. Lord, we thank you for that. But God, we, we say, what about here, Lord? What about this place in this time? God, what about our family and friends who, who need to know you? So we call on you, God, and we say, pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out on this place. God, for Derby, we cry to you and say, God, let revival come to this city. Let revival once again come to this nation. And Lord, as we look around the nations of the world we, where we see pain and conflict and war and strife, we say, God, let revival come. Pour your spirit out. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, make your name known. Make your name famous. God, we cry to you. We need you, Lord. There is no other hope. Forgive us, Lord, when we put our hope and trust in other things. Lord, we want to put our hope and trust in you and you alone. people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their lands do it again Lord do it again, Lord. Pour your spirit out, Lord. In wrath, remember mercy. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord.
fire fall down fire fall down we pray fire fall down fire fall down fire fall down we pray Spirits, oh come, spirits, oh come, spirit, oh come, we pray. Time now, fire fall down. Start with us, God. Start in our hearts and lives. Set us on fire for you. And God, we call on you for our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our community, and our city. Let your fire fall here, Lord. God, let there be hundreds, thousands saved in our day, in our time, in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.